Hello, this is Maurice Harker. What you're about to listen to is a clip from my Spiritual Psychology Masterclass. This is an online webinar classroom where you learn to harvest vital, life-changing psychological concepts from the words of the prophets. Enjoy what you listen to, and I'll check in with you again when you're done. I've tried to spend a little more time feeling psychological empathy of what it must feel like to be starving as bad as he was starving. Then I cross it over to psychology. I get to meet people who are starving. I get to people meet people. I just met with a woman last hour who is in huge desperation to have her husband take her seriously. Like she is on the verge of psychological death because it's been two decades of her husband occasionally giving her little sips of validation and intellectual credibility. And then he withdraws it and she's just a mess. And the husband's all, what? I don't know what she's talking about. We have distorted or twisted versions. We're going to be talking about Laman and Lemuel and how they're starving for a sense of importance or starving for a life that we could have had in Jerusalem. So the problem with the experience of having your needs met is it's not a black and white concept. Was Esau's, I mean, we weren't there, was his... I know Markel a little bit, and I hear some stories about her kids sometimes. And I, I remember as a child, as a teenager, you run into mom, I'm starving. I'm going to die if I don't eat right now. And you're like, I just fed you like a giant plate of lasagna two hours ago. And you're acting like you're going to be dead. You don't understand how starving I am. Had Esau recently had a plate of lasagna and he was just like feeling an exaggerated version of starvation? Or was he coming off of a trip in the desert where he actually didn't have any food of water? We got to be very careful when we judge another person's version of starving. Okay, I get this. This is a very common topic in marriage therapy. You don't understand my needs. What do you mean by being validated? How much validation do you need? I clapped for you a month ago. What are you talking about? Just this morning, I said, thank you for making me breakfast. Like, what does this even mean, this validation concept? And so the thing that we watch for, and as, as we uh, copy paste this over the top of the science of the chemical scale. The chemical scale is easily pushed downhill when Satan can find something to leverage in the world of desperation. You're not getting enough validation. You're not getting enough encouragement. You're not getting enough of this. You're not getting enough of that. And where's the line between whether that's legitimate or not? And how susceptible does it make you to level threes? Now, we have the traditional versions of stupid things men do. All right. I'm not even going (laughs) to spend all day on that one. But it's been brought to my attention. There are little sneaky level threes that women experience like this would be a really good time for a snide remark. Yeah, okay. At least you're not looking at pornography, so a snide remark is okay, all right? How about a nice quality eye roll? No one can do it like a woman can do it. You are professionals at that if you practice it. The cutting, slicing, passive-aggressive sentence or half-sentence. Who, me? I would never do anything like that. 
only if necessary. All right. So all of us, one of the best ways to know if you're in danger of crossing into level three, four, five, and 10 land is how legitimate does your level two feel? How much energy is the dark side able to nurture to increase the likelihood of a misbehavior? Now, does that mean we just do nothing? Because what if someone is legitimately psychologically abusing you? What if someone is legitimately doing this or that or the other? When When you have a plan based on your carefully prepared intellect, for the teenagers, we call them fire drills. If I'm in danger, If my alarms are going off, I don't go looking for the fire. I run to a flagpole. I run to a place of safety. I get myself to safety. So much of this has to be done when there is no fire. It has to be done when you're not in a position of conflict. So I don't know if Esau, if he had spent a little bit of time with a self-mastery trainer who said, let's make a plan for what you're going to do and say when you feel like you're starving. Let's make a plan for what you're going to do and what you're going to say when you're in a state of desperation. It doesn't say here whether or not that Jacob was in the same circumstance. Did they both just come back from crossing the desert um, and they were both starving? Or was Esau the only one starving and Jacob had just had a nice breakfast that morning? that morning. So he wasn't feeling the same state of desperation. I don't know the whole story behind it. All I know is that one person had the sensation of desperation nurtured in his brain so much that he lost connection with what was of value to him. What I encourage us all to do is to check for that. And you usually can start with finding a behavior or a lack of behavior that is a breach of your value system. I am being passive aggressive when I committed to myself not to be. I am being sexually undisciplined when I committed to myself not to be. I am doing this misbehavior. I can promise you in almost every circumstance, you will find a desperation emotion that precedes it. And if you break it down, you will find satanic nurturing of that state of desperation. Because each one of us at a level zero can find a logical flagpole plan. We don't need to behave desperate. We can set up a plan, all right? We have the bags set out at the edge of the garage in case there's a fire. We have water in a certain place. We have the neighbor alerted that we might be coming to their house if there's a fire. Uh, We practice the fire drill four times everyone's ready. We are in a dangerous circumstance, but we have a plan that we can be proud of. Many people I meet don't know you can do the same thing with psychology. You can predict fires. Some of you are in circumstances where the fire might be only once every two or three years, the fire that's the most dangerous. We prepare for those in our homes. How often do we actually have fires in our home? I've never had a fire in my home that is dangerous. So I'm very lackadaisical about my actual fire drills. But if I knew there could be a catastrophe more frequently, like driving on the freeways in Utah, okay, that lends itself to opportunity for catastrophe on a regular basis. And I need to have a plan. More than once I've planned, and I have actually had to follow a few times when all of a sudden traffic stops. I already, I am also always in one of the outside lanes and I always am prepared to pull out into the margin, pull out into the margin. I had to do it two weeks ago. Otherwise I would have rear-ended a car as we were approaching a place where six cars had rear-ended each other. And that's why there was a traffic jam. So I invite you to check your own patterns. Hello, Maurice Harker here again. 
You've just finished listening to a clip from the Spiritual Psychology Masterclass, where you learn to harvest vital, life-changing psychological concepts from the words of the prophets. Please continue listening to the other podcast episodes where you will have access to many, many more principles. But when you're ready for a big, thick chunk of this educational material, please uh, follow the link that's attached to the text connected to this podcast, and you will be given instructions on how to register for the class where you can spend an hour each week sitting with me and learning how to harvest psychology from the words of the prophets. I look forward to seeing you then.